Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. It's a really special week here at That Sounds Fun, and we have got a great show in store. But before we jump into today's conversation, I want to take a moment and tell you about one of our amazing partners, BetterHelp Online Therapy. It's not uncommon in our communication at work for there to be a message from any one of our team members saying something along the lines of, I've got counseling this morning, and then I'll be in the office. That's just how much a normal part of our rhythms it is for our staff to go to therapy, just like working out and eating lunch and going to church. These are all things that help keep us healthy as whole people. And BetterHelp is an awesome resource for anyone interested in connecting with a therapist. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy, and our friends get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash that sounds fun. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash that sounds fun. We are less than a week away from the That Sounds Fun live stream. Yes, I'm so excited. No, Eddie and I haven't decided if we're wearing gala level attire. And yes, there's a VIP experience that includes a Q&A with me before the show when you sponsor a child with compassion. No, I can't think of a single reason why you wouldn't have bought your ticket yet. Go to CompassionLive.com. That's where all the details are. And be sure to give that a visit today and grab your ticket. This week on the show, I'm passing the microphone over to my good buddy, Pastor Mike Kelsey. Y'all know him. He's been on the show. He and his wife, Ashley, were a part of our live events in June, and he hosted the show before in 2020. He's a trusted voice in leading and teaching me about the gospel and friendship and marriage and racial justice and how that looks. And I have loved how much I've learned and grown from hearing conversations between Mike and his friends without me in the room or on a microphone. And so I called Mike and was like, can we please hire you to do another week of shows? And he said yes, very kindly, and has gathered these friends of his and organized these shows for this week. It has been so fun to hear back from y'all about how y'all love the Jason Reynolds episode from Monday. And today, Mike talks with Micah and Christina Edmondson. They lead an amazing multicultural church here in Nashville, and she works in mental health and higher education. They are brilliant wise, bold. I'm just so grateful to get to listen in on these three. And then just a reminder, I am not on the show. You will just hear Mike hosting with the guest every day this week. And it makes for such an awesome conversation to hear these friends together. So here is Pastor Mike Kelsey, Dr. Christina Edmondson, and the Reverend Dr. Micah Edmondson. All right. Well, it is great to be uh, back on the podcast, and I am uh, genuinely excited. I got two people on that uh, I low-key stalk, for real, uh, if we honest. Uh, I got Micah and Christina Edmondson on, who y'all are some accomplished people. Uh, we won't get into all y'all's bio. People can go look at y'all's bio, but thank y'all for being on with me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. It is great to great to to meet you today. Yeah, first of all, y'all love school. Y'all got a whole bunch of degrees. Um, <laughs> but uh, You're right about that, my brother. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna get to into some of the work that you all have done in writing and speaking and leading and podcast hosting and all kind of stuff. 
but y'all are married. And uh, so the first mm-hmm. thing is, because I don't know this, and I'm assuming a lot of the listeners today don't know this. How did y'all meet? Yeah. Yeah. You want to start, Mike? You want me to start? What do you want to do? This is how all, every time you ask that question to a married couple, this is how it always goes. Right, There's right. that awkward pause, like awkward pause. which version of the story which are we like, like to tell? Which version? Your, your vantage point or my you know, vantage point? I'll tell you point. what, I'll, I'll give the story and she will, she'll clean it up. She'll, uh, she'll get... I like, I like that. Go ahead. She'll go clean ahead. it up. So, uh, so yeah, so, so, um, we, we, we met at Hampton University, which is a historically black college in, in Virginia. And uh, we actually met freshman year. Um, I, uh, we actually, so it was interesting. I, about uh, first, so first week of freshman year, uh, I was in the barbershop, you know, kind of getting a fresh cut, you know, and uh, there was a guy that was in that barbershop. And uh, he kind of like, at the time when I was there, he seemed like he was about like, super old, but as I think back on it, he was probably like 42. You're like, you know, so he's probably it's my like, that's, age that's now. That's us now. Yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> so very, very young man, very vibrant yeah, young very, man. Yes, a vibrant young man, you know. And, 42 uh, is vibrant. And, uh, and, and so it was just he and I in the, in the shop, and uh, he was getting his hair cut, and, um, and he looked at me, and he could tell I was a freshman, and he was like, you know, just kind of striking up conversation and um, asked me a little bit about myself. And uh, and then he's and he starts to kind of like just drop some wisdom on me. He was like, hey, man, you know, uh, make sure you don't take this time for granted. Uh, you know, at Hampton University, these are going to be some of the best years of your life. Um, and then he looked at me. He said, you know, you know, you're going to meet your wife at this school. You know, and I was mm-hmm. like, what? I'm like, ah, you know, and 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 and. Uh, I was like too immature to like appreciate that, you know, because uh, mm. I had just gives my first first semester, um, you know, Hampton University. You know, the thing about Hampton uh, that one of the things that sort of attracted me before. So I came to faith my junior year of college. So I was not mm. thinking at all uh, yeah. in a kingdom type way. But I was like, it's three. It's like three women to every man. Man, you know, I'm like, come on, man. Like, what are you saying? Like, you. you pre- that's why. That's why I ain't go to Hampton. I got accepted to Hampton. I was like, it's not gonna be. It's not gonna be good. It's not gonna be good. Too much. <laughs> yeah. Too much temptation. So yeah. I was like, um, so I was like, hey, man, don't put this on me, you know. And uh, and uh, but he was like, hey, you gonna meet your. But you know, so 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 check this out. So like so like two weeks later. I walk into the cafeteria of Virginia Cleveland Hall with a couple of my um, like couple of my dorm mates, and um, mm-hmm. and as we walk in, like there's like there's probably you know 150 students in there, and uh, or more, and um, so it's a big crowd of students, and um, and my and I kind of look out on this crowd, and my eye lands on Christina, right, and she's with mm-hmm. she's with a, a friend. And like there was a there was a a kind of intuition, a kind of almost like an internal voice, and and I don't mm. get these often, uh, but <laughs> but this and it was like, you know, like there she is, that's your wife, you know, that that's it. And uh, I was like trying to shrug that off, like ah no, like this guy put this thing on me, and now <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, you know, and um, and what ended up happening was so like I hung back, I was with my dorm mates, and I'm like I'm gonna sit where they sit, you know. And so, mm-hmm. like, they walk around, you know, we get our little tray, we go to the, you know, we get our food, we go to the little salad bar, and then, um, like, I'm following them, and, like, who do they happen to sit next to out of all the mm. 200 people in there? They <laughs> the said, providence next, the providence of God. The providence of God. 
Okay. So, uh, so you know, we strike up conversation. We get to know each other like our sort of our friendship network. And uh, uh, we, we kind of saw each other and we would hang out here and there like just as a group. And um, I ended up, um, you know, I became, uh, I was a physics major in, in uh, undergrad. And so I kind of helped mm. to, um, you know, tutor her in physics and we developed a friendship. And, um, and then, you know, the Lord uh, worked it in such a way that that friendship sort of blossomed into romance. And uh, we ended up dating throughout college and we got married a week after graduation. So. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, all right. Is that so? Fact check. Fact <laughs> right. check. Fact check. And clean that up. Is this? <laughs> is this? Is this the official verified version? What is hey, this? Listen, I I cannot account for the in, the internal voice or any of those parts of the story. I, I I will say that I do remember very clearly meeting meeting Micah in the the big calf, and um and just en- enjoying him. I just thought he was um. I had I, I grew up in Baltimore and I grew up in a mm. yeah I grew up in a, a chocolate city a black city I did not have a lot of understanding of Nashville and so that's where mm. he was born and raised and so I, I completely thought that everyone in Nashville certainly was white <laughs> and had cowboy hats and you know and if you go live in I've lived in Nashville for a number of years uh, on and off and you hardly see anybody with a cowboy hat unless they're a tourist and they're in downtown Nashville. But, but that's what I was expecting. So I just found that interesting and mm. that, uh, that this was a black guy from Nashville and, um, and yeah, and I just enjoyed his, his personality. He was really, really smart. Uh, Micah has a background in, in, in physics and, um, but also just winsome and funny and kind and quirky Um and <laughs> so he's, 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 y'all can't see Michael right guy. now. He's like, this is true. He's like, That's this true. is true. And these are, these are good qualities to me. So, um, yeah, the quirkiness awkward, of him. Well, yeah, hey, that that's better than being slick. You know right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Better than being slick. Listen, being shout slick. shout out to all the quirky dudes. Hey, There's hope. Hey, hey, keep holding on, quirky man. Hey, Hold on. Hey, right. Hold on. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, I think I think most of that story is true, and um, and I think yeah, we've always seen kind of our vocation and uh, calling and um, connection um, like working together, and mm. we've we've had different moments and times throughout our professional life and ministry life where we we work together, but certainly we try to support each other even if we're in different places or different directions. So yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I love I love uh, those stories, and I love uh, just hearing more about how uh, y'all came together. And y'all have been able to do, uh, like I said, I've been following your work for a long time. Uh, y'all do a lot of work together, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, just the church that you are now leading there in in uh, Nashville, uh, but y'all also do a, a, a ton of work on your own, uh, just uh, just separately. And so I really want to dive. Uh, we're just gonna dive right into the deep end of the pool because um, this is what the people are here for. So. Uh, <laughs> Christina, you and and Chad Brennan have a book coming out next year uh, with InterVarsity Press called Faithful Anti-Racism, and then the subtitle is Moving Past Talk to Systemic Change. Uh, now, let me say what, what the the purpose kind of for this episode is is really we want to help people uh, answer the question because a lot of people ask this: How do I grow my understanding of race and racism, even when there isn't a national headline? You know, when there's not a whole bunch of noise, you know, how do I continue personally 
to make progress and to and to grow and to contribute to change. And so when I saw the title of your book, Christina, I just thought it was perfect. Uh, but I did want to say, y'all just y'all decided to push all the buttons just from the title. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> y'all ain't even want want to wait for people to open the book. I mean, the words anti-racism, mm-hmm. right? People will go nuts. Uh, the word systemic. Uh, and so, what what are you and Chad trying to accomplish in the book? Other well, than other other than just like get everybody upset. What what are y'all trying to accomplish in the book? You know, what's funny about that is that I don't think that, you know, my colleague and friend, Chad, uh, Brennan, I I don't think either one of us, like, are enlivened by, like, let's make the people upset. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I I feel like with the background in psychology, I I can get to maybe a core issue that somebody has. And if I wanted to, we could, you know, we could pick that fast. Mm -hmm. But I actually think that that's not what we're called to do. I think we are to be uh, truthful and um, and gentleness is on the agenda of truthfulness. And so mm. one of the reasons why the, the words are there is because we think that a part of being kind is being clear and being honest. Mm. And I do think that for some people uh, who enter into conversations about, about culture, about diversity, but really what they ought to be talking about is racism. Mm. We, don't, we don't name the thing fast enough. And again, as somebody with a background in intercultural development, absolutely, sometimes we are talking about culture, broadly speaking, but we really wanted to talk about racism. <laughs> so we were like, we're going to say that. Yeah. And, and the, book is for, the book is for who the book is for. So, you know, I think uh, we have to be uh, honest ab- about the entry point that we're inviting people to. If someone looks at that title and the word anti-racism, they have already... Um, been shaped in such a way that the phrase anti-racism is beyond what they can even sit with. If it just rattles them so much, if it has so many, um, kind of, what I would call, this is my bias, kind of manipulated associations that are negative. Mm. So you can't, you, you can't, this is not good. Then this isn't the entry book for them anyway. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think that title is being fair to them saying that there's another, there's something else for you. <laughs> Um, and I know, uh, you know, loving, kind and brilliant colleagues and practitioners who are creating books and materials to meet people wherever they are. This is for yeah. the people who, um, for the most part, even if they don't understand all the ins and outs, are people who are like, yeah, racism is a thing. Um, I may not understand all the dynamics of it, but I know it's a thing. Um, and I also know that there is a way to pursue it that honors God. That's the faithful anti-racism. Mm. And um, I want to understand it more and I want to do something about it. I want to go uh, past kind of theory and rhetoric into what does it look like to actually build something or to, or to take something apart um, mm-hmm. as motivated by, by my faith and, and, and filled and informed uh, by scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who the book is for. Um, and so <laughs> if it makes people upset, it may not be for you. Although I would still, I would still say, give it a go, pray give and ask the Lord, yeah. ask the Lord, what it, what is that about? Uh, mm. What it, what is it, a, what is, what's happening there for you um, that's causing you to already be defensive uh, to a book in which you haven't even read a page. Yeah, and and because the reality is some people will be defensive. Um, and I was reading the book description, so it starts like this. And Mike, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too. Uh, here's how the, the book description starts. It's time to move past talk. It's no longer news to most of us that our society has a deep-seated racism problem. And so uh, so let me push back on that a little bit because some people are going to disagree. They're going to say, we got the Civil Rights Act, right? We got equal protection under the law. We got affirmative action. We got multimillionaire athletes and entertainers and entrepreneurs. We had a black president. 
Um, so why do y'all think we have a deep-seated racism problem? Mm-hmm. So I think there's some different ways that I, I love to hear what Micah has to say. I, I think that most people... Um, in our in our culture in our country con- this country's context, um, believe that there is disparity. Mm. Now, how they account for disparity, well, that's <laughs> mm. now we can have a conversation, right? So they can account for the disparities that they see, in which one group seems to have more access than another, one group um, seems to have higher rates of. Of, of certain forms of prosecution and sentencing, um, they uh, shorter lifespans, all of these things, right? So even someone who's like, I don't know what y'all talking about, mm-hmm. I think they would probably still admit that there are differences amongst groups, not individual people, but groups in the United States uh, presently, but certainly historically. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, also people who are Christians, I think would also admit that sin has a very long arm, even hmm. if they don't want to reckon with it. I think yeah. they would admit <laughs> that uh, as people who hold to uh, a, a kind of an old school orthodox interpretation of the, the beginning of Genesis, that the sin that uh, is represented in that text that enters into our reality is still manifesting today. Christians believe that the sins hmm. of the past impact today. Now, they may act like, what? no, not racism, but that's one of the sins mm-hmm. <laughs> that still impacts mm-hmm. today. So I, I think that most people, even if they don't have all the, the, the language, the in-group and out-group language of it, I think realize that there are differences between uh, access and opportunity and, and thriving among groups. Now, how they make sense of it, it could be that they think, oh, uh, well, some cultures are just more deficient than others. Mm. And we would talk about the roots of that and the ideology mm-hmm. that's there. And where does that even come from? Because that also has a starting point in the American narrative for us, too. Mm. Um, so that, that's why I feel like we can come out and we can start with that statement. Um, and for people who would push back, I would begin to talk to them about that um, and, and ask them, uh, when did racism end in the United States? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing answer. Um, uh, I, I think that I would just come in from a theological standpoint and I would I would just ask um, from a theological and ecclesial standpoint, that's uh, uh, how we talk about God and how we live together as God's people within the context of the covenant community. Uh, you know, so we're called to, um, to bear one another's burdens and we're called to weep with those who weep. And so we have a unique opportunity as the people of God to actually hear um, some some voices that society says that we might not nec- that we might not otherwise be able to hear because we have a mm. this connection in Christ we have this calling um, and kind of uh, we have a calling a unique calling within the context of the covenant community to actually bear one another's burdens and so uh, although you know our societal contract our kind of worldly association with one another outside the context of the church uh, might not necessarily call us to that. It might say, it might not necessarily call us to the common good that includes everybody, right? Um, But within the church, within the context of the church, we have a unique calling and a unique um, kind of obligation to love one another as Christ has loved us, to bear Mm -hmm. one another's burdens, to weep with one another, to put one another's interests before our own. And what that does is it calls us to really listen to one another's experiences. And so as you have brothers, as we have brothers and sisters that sort of bear witness to the 
um, the um, unequal outcomes that they have, the disparities that we see around us, um, that should that should be enough for us to uh, ask the question, you know, what lead, what has led to that disparity? You know, why mm-hmm. that, why does my brother or sister have such a different experience than uh, than I do? You know, um, mm-hmm. and and again, as Christina has mentioned, you know, people have various um, they have various sort of working assumptions about why that is, and they may not say those out outright. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they may have you know those assumptions. And so that that's that's the area where we need to sort of interrogate, you know, and use our yeah. theology there too, you know. So yeah, and I, I sometimes people won't say it out loud, but sometimes they will. Sometimes, yeah. and uh, yeah. a lot of times, you know, people will say, uh, "No, nobody believe, nobody's saying that you know black people are inferior or black culture is inferior." Or, but I had a friend who's legit a good friend, um, not a white friend, like he's a Latino guy, and. I never forget us having a conversation. This was several years ago, and he was talking about his family's kind of story of immigration and coming here and picking themselves up by the bootstraps and uh, and where they are today. And I'll never forget him saying, "I remember where I was on the phone when he said this." He says, "I just don't understand what's wrong with your people." This is literally what he said, and and I and I threw the question back to him, and I said what do you think is wrong with with my people? Mm. And there was a pause. And I think that might have been the first time he was consciously aware, you know what I mean, of, of what he just said out loud, which is something that was kind of the assumptions like you, you talked about that were at work. And uh, several years later, uh, you know, I remember him texting me and just saying, hey, man, I get it now. You know what I mean? And so... Uh, so there is debate, legitimate debate about the source and the scope of the disparity. But I love what you said, Christina, even about the title of your book. If even the notion of a disparity being attributed in any way to any percentage of racism causes you to immediately shut down, causes you to immediately stiff arm the conversation, then I do think that's something to interrogate and to think about. And uh, so I, I think that's uh, helpful. Now. Michael, you talked about uh, just our love for one another, and especially in the context of the church, because you guys are talking about this broader context and this broader, to be honest, kind of conflict that we're in as a country right now over these issues. And then you decide to start a church in Nashville. As Christina said, the land of cowboy hats and cowboy boots. <laughs> you decide oh, to only start- downtown. Only downtown. <laughs> only downtown. Uh, we're not downtown. Y'all decide to, to start a church in, in, in Nashville. Um, so tell us a little bit about the church that y'all started. Y'all been going for like a year now, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, thanks for uh, for asking about that. Yeah, the church that uh, we're part of is called Koinonia. Um, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's the fourth site of uh, Christ Presbyterian Church, which is a a, uh, a, a multi-site church that's been in Nashville for about 40 years, and we are the fourth site about to celebrate our first year anniversary. And uh, yeah, so we got, we, so what that means is that we got going in the midst of the pandemic, you know, and, uh, mm. but it was also in the midst of um, the lead up to the uh, last election, presidential election. It was in the wake of the George Floyd murders, murder, and, uh, and so um, there were, there was a lot of, um, you know, conversation, consideration, um, introspection around around cultural and racial polarization and 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 political polarization in our country, and we thought that it was an, uh, an amazing opportunity to actually launch a uh, cross cultural church during that time 
uh, to show that Jesus actually has um, something to say to this cultural moment. You know, he has something to say to the uh, injustice and the suffering that we see all around us, and that he's created the church as a refuge and a safe place to be able to receive healing and to also begin to process those issues together. Mm. So, um, so that's that. That was really something that we uh, and I thought, you know, Nashville. Nashville is one of one of the fastest growing cities in the country right now. Um, mm -hmm. Increasingly, you know, kind of cosmopolitan type place, and um, and so this was a really a, a perfect city to be doing this. And we had the opportunity to come in a, a community called Bordeaux, which is in Northwest mm -hmm. Nashville, um, okay. which, has, which has been a historically African-American community. Um, it's about 83% black, but there've been black folks in Bordeaux since the 1700s. And so, wow. yeah, so, so the, and uh, often, and a lot of, so uh, Nashville is home to uh, three HBCUs, historically black um, colleges. Um, we've, we've got uh, Meharry, uh, medical College, we've got Fisk, and we've also got Tennessee State University. And a lot of the faculty uh, and staff from those institutions would li have, have lived in Bordeaux, you know, and, uh, and okay. so, so, so Bordeaux is home to a lot of black businesses, a lot of, you know, sort of black intellectuals, um, and, uh, but it's a, it's a very diverse community, socioeconomically, um, but it is about 83% black. We thought that was a perfect place to come as a Presbyterian church in the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, the denomination is overwhelmingly white, um, mm -hmm. but we thought here's a if we're going to be planting um, a church in the PCA, what a be what better place to go to try to uh, be accessible to diverse people than a place like Bordeaux? Yeah, so that raises a, a lot of questions. But one uh, th that comes to my mind, so I watched uh, one of the live streams of of one of y'all's worship services, and there was there was a black woman. Uh, she was singing. She sounded like she was from the UK somewhere. I don't know if that's true, but uh, she was singing. There was an older Asian man who was singing. He had like a cul-de-sac, like uh, like it bald with gray around it. Uh, it was a white dude playing keys. Uh, and you mentioned your church is a part of a predominantly white denomination. Why have y'all chosen to stay? in a multi-ethnic church? Why, why have you chosen to continue to work toward a cross-cultural church environment and to do it in the context of a predominantly white denomination? That's a great question. I'm sure my wife is very is like eager to hear what I'm going to say now. <laughs> we, we, well, well, she, yeah. She's like, well, she's we, like, why, why, Micah? Yeah. Why, Micah? No, we may have different answers. <laughs> okay. We, no, we, we may we may have different answers because we both have different vocational identities. And um, mm -hmm. so we, we might have a slightly different way to, to understand this. Go for it, Mike. I don't think there'll be contradictory <laughs> answers. They just may be hitting on different things. You know, there'll be sort of mm -hmm. complementary answers, you know. Um, so, um, so, so here's the thing. Um, you know, as, we, as I uh, talk about uh, the name of the church is Koinonia, um, I, you know, I often will lift up the book of uh, Philemon, which is a New Testament epistle. And you know, Philemon is a story of uh, it. It tells the story of this escaped slave named Onesimus, who um, escapes from a, a, a household that enslaved him in Colossae, the ancient city of Colossae. And he he makes it about thirteen hundred miles away to the city of Rome, where he meets the Apostle Paul. He uh, hears the gospel, comes to faith in Christ. Uh, he sort of attends to the Apostle Paul and helps and kind of assists him while he's um, imprisoned. And, uh, and at some point, the Apostle Paul decides to send Onesimus back to the household that had enslaved him, okay? Mm -hmm. 
And, um, and, and as I think about that, I think about, you know, uh, what, must, what, what that must have been like for Onesimus. You know, in the ancient, so, so slavery in, 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 uh, in the ancient, in, in, in ancient Rome was actually, um, you know, it was actually the backbone of the Roman economy and, and mm. very much um, helped to define the Roman caste system. Right. So it wasn't like slavery was like this kind of marginal kind of institution that they kind of mm-hmm. had on the side. Like this was like this was at the heart of the Roman economy, you know, and like so um, the idea. So 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 an escaped slave, a person who escaped could be tortured. They could be killed. They could be crucified. Um, mm-hmm. It was very dangerous prospect to go back to the household that had enslaved you. OK, mm-hmm. so. Um, so Onesimus, in going back to Philemon's household, was taking a huge risk. It took a lot mm-hmm. of faith for this person to do this, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and it was a huge risk for the Apostle Paul to send Onesimus back, right? But he does it, and he puts his letter in his hand, uh, uh, the, what we know now as the epistle uh, to Philemon. And in this letter, Paul makes this appeal to uh, not just... Philemon, the, the, the slaveholder, but to the whole household that were Christians. And he basically, he appeals to this uh, reality called koinonia. And koinonia is, is this redemptive connection that creates common ground and common cause. And basically what he tells uh, Philemon is that, um, is that koinonia has made and should make uh, Onesimus be received back, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother, okay? Hmm. And I think it's really interesting um, that what Paul does is he, is, he, is he he sort of, in our theological imagination, we sort of think that that's sort of mixing categories. He has a social mm-hmm. category slave and a spiritual category brother, right? And what he's, telling, uh, what he's telling these folks is that because this person is now a, 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 a brother in Christ, because this person is now a co-heir in Christ, he can no longer have this social relationship with you. His social relationship has to change. The disparities between you all have, can no longer exist. You have to accept him as a beloved brother. Which was a, a big risk, because I'm going to be honest. If, if, if I got that letter from Paul, I'm going to take the letter. But you I'm going to detour- I'm I'm end up in Antioch <laughs> or somewhere else. Like, I'm not going back. Like, to- yeah, right, right. Somewhere, you know, <laughs> somewhere between them 1,300 miles, you know, 200 miles. Listen, like, I don't know. I mean, just, uh, I got lost, I'm, Paul, I, you know. I'm going to turn off my GPS. Right, and, right, uh, right. You're yeah. not finding me. Yeah, you're not going to find me, yeah. But, but, you know, it's interesting that, and, and, and that gets into the issue of why it was that Paul would have sent Onesimus back to Philemon rather than to another church full of of escaped slaves or full of enslaved, or, you know, people like Onesimus, mm-hmm. you know? Why would he send him back to the household that enslaved him, you know? I mean, why that household in particular? There were other Christian churches around and there are other households. But Paul, uh, I believe that the answer is because there is some unique glory that comes to Christ as Onesimus's and Philemon's come together in the same church, right? Mm. There's a certain kind of thing that pushes back against. So, so if Onesimus had been in the same church with other Onesimuses, the Roman Empire wouldn't have blinked. It wouldn't have, I mean, that's what, that's what Caesar would have expected, you know? Mm-hmm. And if Philemon's just stayed in the same churches with all Philemon's, no one would have blinked. But for, mm-hmm. but for a slaveholder to now receive a former slave as a brother, 
to now find themselves submitting to that slave's authority in, in certain contexts, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to now have the, a, uh, the gospel and the redemptive reality of Christ actually erase that social relationship and erase those disparities. Now that is a threat mm-hmm. to the Roman world. That's something that the mm-hmm. Romans had to pay attention to because what that does is it undermines the social caste system, right? Mm-hmm. It actually is a witness against the sinful disparities uh, they were all around the Roman world. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about one of our incredible partners, She Reach Truth. I know, y'all love them. We love them, and we are smack in the middle of the fall season, but it is never too early for me to share something that I believe has the potential to make this Christmas season the best one you've ever had. You know how important my faith is to me, which is why I wholeheartedly recommend She Reach Truth Bible Study Books. Not only are they beautiful, they're full of scripture. They also include some helpful extras to make understanding the Bible a little easier and some simple crafts and easy recipes to sprinkle in a little fun. This season, prepare your hearts for Christmas Day in a fresh way by reading with the She Reach Truth community for their 10th Advent Bible study. This year's She Reach Truth Advent study is called The Everlasting Light. From creation to the incarnation to the coming eternal city, scripture speaks of Jesus's life-giving presence and light in the dark world. This five-week study book provides daily scripture reading that traces this theme throughout the Bible. If you've never participated in a Bible study with She Reads Truth, this is the perfect year to do it. Don't let the noise of the Christmas season cause you to lose sight of what Advent is really about, the coming of our Savior. If you want to ensure that Christ is the focus of your holiday season this year, I want you to head to shopshereadstruth.com right now and get your study book. They sell out every year, you guys, so do not wait. And you can use the code ADVENTANNIE at checkout for 15% off your Advent order. They've created resources for the whole family that I know you're going to love. So head to shop She Reads Truth right now. And remember, the code is Advent Annie, all together, one word, for 15% off your Advent order. And now back to our conversation between Mike and Micah and Christina. And so you think, in your mind, I'm curious what Christina has to say from her vantage point. That's the heart of what you want to see kind of God do and reveal there in in Nashville, like that kind of church community that challenges or breaks down some of those barriers and disparities? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. I think, I mean, you think about, uh, you think about the I Have a Dream speech, right? So Dr. King Mm -hmm. kind of sets his vision uh, before, uh, you know, sort of before America of, of, uh, you know, the sons and daughters of former slaves coming together with the sons and daughters of former slave masters at the table of brotherhood, right? Mm-hmm. This community in which it, it's not just, uh, it's not just uh, sort of unification, but it's, it, is the, it is the equity and justice um, mm-hmm. where folks are actually coming together on common ground, right? No yeah. longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother, you know? And it's the mm-hmm. erasure of the disparity that is really the witness against the sinful uh, social caste system all around us, and so I and so I think that that's the kind of thing that is a real witness in our particular social moment, right? So you 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 think it's still worth it? Oh yeah, I, I think it's still worth it. I mean, uh, and now and I would say this: I would say that uh, I would say that it's not for everybody all the time, right? Mm. I think ultimately. Uh, we, you know, I think ultimately the kingdom of God is a cross-cultural kingdom. I think ultimately the Lord 
uh, has a way of bringing people together from every tribe, nation, and tongue. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even on the day of Pentecost, uh, even amongst the Jewish people, uh, they're speaking all these different languages. And the church that, yeah. uh, the 3,000 that come to faith, is a, is a, is a cross-cultural, multilingual church that the Lord assembles, even right there in Jerusalem amongst his mm -hmm. people before. So that's a sort of a um, sort of precursor uh, kind of preview of coming attractions of what will happen amongst mm -hmm. the nations and, and, and the Lord turning back what happened at the Tower of Babel at the day of Pentecost. And so I think mm -hmm. that part of what the kingdom is about, part of what, what's on God's agenda is actually um, destroying the works of the devil, that part of that being the sinful disparities and divisions at work in the world and doing uh, in the kingdom of Christ what has not been able to be achieved in the kingdoms of this world. Right, that have yeah. sought to do that, because uh, you know many ancient leaders, um, you know, have sought to do that. You know, Pharaoh sought to get the world beneath his bar his banner, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar tried to get the world beneath his banner. And uh, you know, you've had all of these kingdoms. You know, you've had Caesar. You've had you know, uh, even Hitler tried to do. You know, you have these mm -hmm. world leaders that try to sort of get world domination. You know, they try to get every every people group assembled beneath their common ideology, their common banner, right? And yeah. none of him, none of them have been able to do it, right? Only one, and that king is King Jesus. And so I think yeah. part of what God is doing is he wants, he wants the world to see him do for his son, right, what no other king has been able to achieve, you know? Hmm. Well, and a lot of people, a lot of black people in particular are giving up on this whole effort, at least here on earth. And yeah, uh, Christina, sure. what what are you thinking? Yeah, so so um, when as Michael was was opening up that particular book, I was thinking about what it means to be received now as a beloved brother, mm -hmm. and the you know, and I, that's a term of equity. And I think what one of the reasons why, amongst many, including uh, racial trauma, spiritual abuse, <laughs> there's there's all kinds of good legit reasons why people are like, mm -hmm. no, thank you. Um, but that beloved brother to be received that way, that's not a throwaway phrase. Mm -hmm. That's a position of equity. And I think that's a multi-ethnic church distinction that just has to be made. Mm -hmm. And I think when people are often talking about multi-ethnic uh, or really multi-racial multi churches in the American context, they are not contending with equity. They're talking about diversity. And they're sometimes not even very good at being honest about that and really measuring <laughs> measuring it either. Um, but they're certainly not talking about equity. And yeah. equity asks the question of um, acknowledges that there is power <laughs> and all power, all power ultimately has to be given, has to give an account to God. And so the power that is used in the church by, by leaders and people in the pews and people who, you know, write their letters and see, you know, all kinds of church people, okay? Mm -hmm. they ha we have to give an account for how we used it and we didn't use it. And that beloved brother is about making sure that power, power is properly distributed and honored. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's the difference between one who was once enslaved and in bondage in this system and one now who has to be received, not just as a brother, but a beloved brother, a beloved mm -hmm. brother who receives deference, who is given uh, due respect. And I would even make the case, uh, as Michael was, was laying that text out, so beautifully, I would add that another reason, if I was to use like my, you know, Holy Ghost inspired imagination that he went mm -hmm. back 
is because there were some things that were due to him. Hmm. There were some things that were due to him in order for him to go from being the enslaved to the beloved brother. Hmm. What, what then does it mean for the one who was complicit or overtly engaged in a system of, of domination who now has been changed by the power of the Holy Ghost, who has now been baptized into the body of Christ? What then does it mean for you, for us and all of our, all of our privileges or whatever it may look like for us on an individual level? What does it mean to now make right? Mm. We have been saved. We've been set free to repent and to repair. And so when that person who I used to mistreat or I have been complicit in their uh, in where they are in this system of stratification, I've been given rewards and benefits because of where they are in the system of stratification. Now that I receive them as a beloved sister or a beloved brother, what then am I empowered by the Holy Spirit to now give to them, to now mm. offer them? Um, and so that return back home is not a, a pie. In, it's, it's not, um, this, this, is a, this is not just a photo op. Yeah. And, 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 this is not a, and this is not an opportunity for more racial trauma to say, go back, go back to your abuser to mm. be re-abused. It is an opportunity to say, no, you're a beloved brother, which means you're an equal. Mm-hmm. You're an equal and you have just as much access uh, to all the all the gifts, uh, all that the Holy Spirit is pouring out and the way in which your voice is now represented in this local congregation, mm-hmm. which is another issue that we find in uh, many multi-ethnic churches is the distribution of power. And so when black people are like, I'm done with that, oftentimes what they're done with are churches that are a reinforcement of white dominance. Even if there are a lot of people of color, a lot of people of color in it, and that's ultimately what they're done. They're done with not being protected. They're done with a lack of church church discipline to protect and to care for them. And I I think that's really what they're what they're walking away from. And we cannot get to that scene of of community and equity apart from discipline and apart from the distribution of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I, if I could, if I could. Um, yeah. I think they're done with the racial caste system. And when the church reinforces the racial caste system, it's an especially uh, d- deep injury, right? Because mm-hmm. the church represents Christ, right? And so, um, so as Christine was just noting so, so well, I mean, you know, this, this, um, what we're talking about here. So Paul appealed, so in that book of Philemon, he, the, the key, the key um, theological term, the key word in that entire epistle is the word koinonia, right? And, and it is it's this communion that he appeals to. But the, the word koinonia also uh, actually factors in the, um, in the book of Acts, right? And so the early church, um, when they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer and to the fellowship, the word there is actually koinonia. And, and, they, and it says, and they had all things in common, that word koinonia figures there again as well. And it, and it actually talks about how, um, like, like they actually, what so this union that they had in Christ with one another actually created, uh, it, 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 had, um, it had tangible reality. It wasn't just an idea that was in their mind. It yeah. was that you have no connection in Christ apart from, like, sharing your possessions with each other. This ought to show up in how you actually... Um, use your possessions to express this brotherhood that we have in Christ or and sisterhood that we have in Christ, this communion that we have in Christ. And so that's what Paul is actually calling for. He's calling for when they, 
He's calling for for that household to love the fact that this person is a brother. I think beloved brother means not only do we kind of uh, kind of love him, but we love the fact that he is a brother. You know, so like we're not begrudging yeah. about the fact that now we've got to treat him as an equal. You know, yeah, um, and that's super important. You know, I think some sometimes like the 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 um, the, the the resistance to the notion of like anti racism is like the fear of having to actually sort of give up something, you know, mm-hmm. um, to somebody that we think might not deserve it. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's people who are listening who uh, are like, probably have questions, uh, probably trying to, as all of that lands, they're, they're trying to sort through it all. Um, but I, I know Annie has done a lot of work and has been committed to trying to, to one, to for her to, personally grow and, and continue in her uh, understanding of these issues, but also using her platform, you know, stewarding her platform in a way that helps bring awareness and change along these lines. So a lot of people listening would say, I'm with that. You know what I mean? To, to the extent that I understand like what that means, like I, I want to, to work towards that kind of, not just unity, but that kind of equity that you all talk about. I want to play my role in that. But they say, but how how do I grow in that when there's not the national headline? And I and I want you guys to to share some tips for people because I think a lot of people who are listening would say, I do feel a sense of urgency and motivation. Like I I was broken over George Floyd's murder. I was I was broken over uh, um, just as I hear about. Uh, the history uh, in our country related to racism and the ongoing effects of that. Like I I. I have more understanding of that now than I did last year. Uh, but then when the headlines go away, um, I don't feel that necessarily that same sense of urgency or, uh, you know, the, the books aren't trending in the same way. And so how do I get access to research? Where do, I, where do I go? How do I grow when there's not the pressure of the constant national headlines? How would you coach somebody who wants to grow like that? Yeah. I, so you, you want to take it, or I'll, it I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll add one point, and then we'll maybe we can just kind of go back and forth. You know, it'll be it'll be antiphonal. I'll I'll start on this side, and you know, <laughs> you hit it back, and I hit it back. Uh, uh, I, I would say this. Um, so, uh, so I mentioned. So I'm I'm really big about the about the local church. I really feel like the local church is a unique resource for us. And part of that is I'm you know I am a local church pastor. You know, uh, but mm. um, I you know so. The, again, um, the church is, is uh, so the gospel is announced to Abraham beforehand is in you shall all the nations be blessed, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, so, so the church itself, God has envisioned it, designed it to be cross-cultural, right? He's intentionally done it that way. And he's announced the gospel in such a way that the gospel is a cross-cultural gospel. It's a gospel that part of it, part of the essence of it, part of the essential components of it is that it does reach a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. If it didn't, it wouldn't be the gospel, right? So that's part of the good news that the Lord announces. Um, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Uh, uh, you know, God, God, that, that's part of what he's doing um, through, through the gospel. And so what he does is that he actually, as, as the gospel goes forth and does its work and actually unites different kinds of people, what that mm-hmm. does is it causes us to be Rub, uh, it causes us to rub shoulders with, to be united with people that have different experiences uh, than we do, people who are in different places within the social order than we are, and it gives us access to their world in a way 
that other people outside the context of the church don't have access to, right? Mm. We have this calling and then we have this access in a way that other people uh, don't. And we have this, uh, and so, so we are actually called to hang in there and listen to people where other people might not necessarily do that if it's not in their economic interest or their social interest, mm. right? So we're called to actually hang on in there. So I think that's a, actually a huge resource, you know? And I think mm. that will cause us to kind of keep at it even when the news cycle is mm. um, on to something else, right? So you're saying, so being in a local church with people who are different from you and persevering in that and listening, you're saying that that the church itself is a resource in, in that that's growth. A, that's a huge resource. Um, I'll quickly mm. just lift up this example and then I'm, I'll, uh, I'll turn it over to Christina to, to volley it on back, you know. Um, <laughs> um, there's a woman uh, named Juliet Hampton Morgan. I often will lift up her example. She was the public librarian at, at, at Montgomery, Alabama in the 1940s, okay? And mm -hmm. um, Juliet Hampton Morgan was, the, uh, was a, a, a descendant of a Confederate general. She was a Southern aristocracy type person. She grew up uh, very much benefiting from the social order and from segregation, benefiting socially from that, okay? Um, and so uh, Juliet Hampton Morgan was not the kind of person that you'd ever expect would be a champion for civil rights because that was not her, um, that wasn't her exposure, that wasn't her upbringing, that wasn't, that wasn't part of her social imagination, right? And um, what happened was Juliet Hampton Morgan uh, was invited to an interracial women's prayer meeting, right, in Montgomery, Alabama in the 1940s. And they, wow. they had to meet in churches because it was illegal for, uh, to have an interracial meeting in, in, a, in a public facility, so they had to meet in churches. And so she came, she went there, and it was through these prayer meetings that she actually began to um, get a heart for the sufferings of her black sisters, right? Hmm. And she began to become exposed to what they were going through in their lot in life. And, and, she, and she began to get a testimony in her kind of in her heart and in her experience that she would have never otherwise gotten unless she got it in the church in this prayer meeting. And what ended up happening was Julia Hanton Morgan ended up writing a series of op-ed um, pieces that began to sort of call out the evils of segregation. And, um, and she would stage one-woman protests on the, pub, on the buses um, when she saw an African-American mistreated by a bus driver she would stand wow. up and pull the emergency cord. Now, this is in the 1940s. This is 15 years before the Montgomery bus boycott. And, mm. um, and I only lift that, that up to say that um, it, was, it was in this prayer meeting and it was in through understanding, uh, a better understanding of the gospel and the Lord's people and the Lord's church that she began to have her social imagination stretched beyond the bounds of her kind of social limitations, her historical mm. moment, right? So I yeah. think the church is, uh, that, the, you know, and we confess that in the Apostles' Creed, one of the uh, articles of the Apostles' Creed is that we believe in the Catholic church, that Catholic big uh, kind of Catholic church, uh, little c Catholic is, um, means universal, right? Mm. Uh, that the church is essentially comprised of people, of different kinds of people, right? Mm. And uh, so, so I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. 
Hey, friends, just taking a quick break to tell you about one of our amazing partners, Everlywell. There are certain things in life that are difficult to understand, but knowing how to feel your best should not be one of them. Everlywell can help you learn more about your body so you can finally take control of your health and wellness in your own time. Everlywell offers affordable at-home lab tests that give you trusted physician-reviewed results. Choose from tests including food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, thyroid, and so much more. Here's how it works. Everlywell ships your tests straight to your door with everything you need for a simple sample collection. Return the test to a CLIA-certified lab with a prepaid shipping label. Then your physician-reviewed results and insights are sent to your device in just days. Over a million people have trusted Everlywell with their at-home lab testing. I love the convenience and privacy that comes with testing like this. And for my friends, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash that sounds fun. That's everlywell.com slash that sounds fun for 20% off your at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash that sounds fun. And I have one more incredible partner to share with you, Uncommon Goods. If you're on a mission to be the best gift giver ever this year, it's never too early to start crossing items off your list. Whether you're shopping for mom or dad or teenagers, in-laws, or your best friends, Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find remarkable and truly original gifts for anyone. Uncommon Goods wants your holiday season to be stress-free, so check out their selection of thousands of items today. They have some fun puzzles, you know how much I love puzzles, and really unique jewelry that's meaningful and can be personalized. Who knows what holiday shopping will look like this season, and the unique gifts of Uncommon Goods can sell out fast, so shop now and get that list taken care of early. No matter what your people are into, Uncommon Goods has the perfect gift. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not the same lackluster gifts you could find just anywhere. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back a dollar to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. Isn't that awesome? To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash that sounds fun. That's uncommongoods.com slash that sounds fun for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Uncommongoods.com slash that sounds fun. And now back to our conversation between Mike and Christina and Micah. Well, let me just add a note, and now I want to hear what you say, Christina, because we got some people who are Christians uh, who, who don't do church or or maybe did church at some point, and if, you know, they're like, oh, I don't really want to do deal with the church at all. And I, and I hope, if that's you, I hope, I hope folks are hearing that uh, true gospel-driven churches are not environments that reinforce racism and oppression and inequity. Uh, the Christianity itself, not just in the history, but at the very root of it, in the gospel, in the theology of Christian teaching, has the resources. In fact, it demands that we be a people, as we love our neighbor, who challenge those practices and values and, and uh, systems and structures, right, that reinforce that kind of racism and oppression. And so a lot of people are like, no, that's, this is the type of thing that makes me not want to go to church. And I hear you saying, no, actually, if you really find a good church, a solid church, it's going to be a community that helps you actually grow toward becoming a more just person. 
Uh, and I, I love that, man. Um, Christina, what would you add? What, what, what tip would you give somebody who wants to grow? Yeah. Um, so, Mike, I think when you when you started the question, you were talking about this idea that there are people who got really inspired or grieved or lamentful after George Floyd's murder. And um, what does it mean to stay engaged even if there's not a headline? And I, I just want to I just want to uh, spend some time, just just a moment interrogating why that moment pulled people in and other moments don't. And, um, you know, most people in a, a racialized uh, context, America, I mean, it was it built uh, on an economic system uh, based on chattel slavery, race-based chattel slavery. These are just the facts. The, the history of the wealth of the nation came because of free labor and an enforced breeding system of people as a product for generations for hundreds of years. These, these, this is the roots. This is the economic roots of the nation. And it creates, uh, and it, it demands an ideology. It de demands even a theology, taking mm -hmm. God's name in vain to keep in place that type of system. So what we are uprooting and exposing and talking about, it's got some long, long roots in the ground. So it's, it takes work. It takes backbreaking work. It is hard. Um, it is exhausting. And so I just want to say that out loud. When people were, uh, and, and by people, I think we're primarily thinking about white folks, right? When white people uh, learned about George Floyd's murder and maybe even witnessed pieces of it, they saw pieces of that uh, excruciatingly painful over eight minute video recording. Mm. Um, I believe that what it did is that it forced people to go to a place in which, particularly white people, would never have found themselves, particularly white people who are overtly the I'm not racist white people, okay? Mm. Not, not, not your, your minority population amongst whites, like your clan members, people with real strong kind of racist vitriol, but like mm -hmm. your everyday average white person, certainly white evangelical Christian person, that is the group that is least likely to see themselves as holding racial bias. Mm. So, so what that did was it took an entire population of people who disproportionately believe that they are not racist and it put them in the front row of a lynching a place that they would never put themselves and they experienced all the the pain and the sadness and the helplessness of what that moment demands and it was ugly and it was vicious and it was mm -hmm. unrelenting and it was traumatizing uh, for all people, but specifically if we're talking about white white people and white Christians, it was traumatizing. And uh, in the response to that, you had people who protested for the first time in their lives. They'd never protest, protested racial injustice in their lives. And they were mm -hmm. like, I can't have this feeling anymore. I've got to move forward. Mm -hmm. What I would say to them is I don't want it to take that. I don't want it to have to be someone else's son or brother or father for us to believe to believe what the data already showed, what the testimony already said, mm. what, what pages and pages of history attest to, what policies and laws and even Supreme Court rulings <laughs> affirm. I don't want it to have to take the blood literally crying out for us to stay engaged, for us to say, oh, Christina, I, yeah, I believe you that this, I think this, this thing is real. Mm. And so we have to kind of self-examine about what is it, wh why did we need that? Why did we need that blood sacrifice in order to now believe what has already been well documented? And mm -hmm. if we would just look a little bit, we would see the evidence there. Um, so I just want to say that out loud. That's not to shame people, but to really to shake people. 
mm-hmm. um, to say, let's hear each other so that we don't have to have some of the worst case examples to believe <laughs> each other mm-hmm. uh, moving mm-hmm. forward. And and I would say on some some practical practical next steps for people to be engaged. I invite my students to read history, uh, primary sources. I know this is real old school. We, we learned it back <laughs> in the day. You know, this is the and, teacher and me. And, and by primary source, what you're saying is Wikipedia is not... <laughs> Is that not a primary source? I can listen, Mike. I can name all the things that I would tell people, <laughs> I, that I would tell people to stop listening to and stay away from. But I don't. I, I don't want. I don't want to be a distraction to your, your podcast. Okay. I don't want to be a distraction. But they can probably feel it right now in their spirit. What I'm about to say. But but yeah, primary sources. So you so. Why, why would you want to hear an interpretation of something when you could actually hear the person in their own voice describe something? Mm. If you got an opinion about critical race theory, before you get up in uh, up in arms, I suggest you read actual critical race theorists who talk about themselves using that language. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it is it is absolutely true that we can slander people that we don't understand and who are unbelievers. And God does mm-hmm. hold us account for the slandering of people in disciplines that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and as people who are called to be salt and light and witnesses, we have to be careful about the name calling that we propagate about people when we don't understand the ideas that they're bringing forward. It's so, one of the commands. It's bearing false witness. You absolutely, know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not just bearing false witness against the Christians that we like. We are called not to bear false witness against any and everybody, All everybody made in the image of God. And so we have to uh, hold ourselves to account communally and individually about that. And then, and then I would say, you know, um, those, firsthand, those firsthand primary sources, that means actually reading the Constitution. There, I mean, I remember hearing some, you know, this mm. debates about Confederate statues and people passionately, passionately saying, well, this is heritage. This is not a symbol of uh, of oppression and i would say well when was the statue erected oh during the mm. civil rights movement okay let's let's unpack that and have you read the actual words of this confederate soldier as to why they were fighting well no maybe you could and then as mm. people began to read people Confederate soldiers would tell you exactly why they were fighting if we would actually read their words but we have to examine why is it that we don't want to actually hear the truth why do, why do we not want to hear? Why would we rather hear someone being talked about versus talking to them or hearing them in their firsthand information? That is the invitation that I have for believers um, who were inspired around the issues of uh, the painful death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and it goes on and on. I, I would invite them to primary sources and reading people in their own words and resisting listening to people interpret people first. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Start with the primary source and then then you can consider different interpretations. Um, Mm. I think that is only fair and respectful to people. Mm. That's good. That's good. Anything else you would add to that, Micah? Um, Yeah, just that... um, yeah, again, just that I think um, I think what part of the issue right now that we have going on is that is that we all is that we all have our different news sources, like our sources of information mm. and the sources of authority. And 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 part of the problem is that we're sort of siloed about what we're willing to even engage. You know, we're kind of, um, mm. uh, you know, we're kind of like, look, I've got my I've got my, you know, couple sources over here, my media sources. And those are the people that I believe. 
you know, and they're going to kind of do the hard work for me. You know, uh, I, I'm, you know, and, and it is true that we are limited in how much we can actually engage around things. You know, you're not going to be an expert mm -hmm. in all the things, you know, so you're going to have to um, you're going to have to depend on some experts to be able to know some things that you don't know. And you're going to have to be able to mm -hmm. submit to to some information and some expertise that you might not necessarily um you know, that you don't have yourself, you know. So we're we, we are not all able to be experts in everything. We're going to have to trust some folks. So so that's part of the part of the issue is that we are kind of very much, um, I've got my sources, they've got their sources. They I got my data, they got their data, you know. Um, I got my studies, they got their studies, you know. And that's, um, that's so real. How, like, how do we cut through that though, man? Because cause we don't like, we don't even engage the substance. It's just, if it's the source. If it comes from this particular network or if it comes from this left-leaning or right-leaning uh, camp, we don't even give it any time, any credibility. It's like we can't even talk to each other because off the top, I, I'm just not willing to engage it at all. So how do we, how do we cut through what is right now, it seems like two different worlds exactly and yes. even and even Less if you have polarization and even if you have <laughs> mm -hmm. a video that's right there in front of you right um mm -hmm. if it, the you know what um you know what people will do is they'll say well you know you're not seeing what you think you're seeing you know this is how you need to interpret you know you think so not just george floyd but think about eric garner right so we've got like we've got videos of people's murders and yet we can't even decide what it actually what is happening in front of us, right? Because we are so committed to the source that's telling us what it means, right? That's interpreting for us what it means. So, so it's and hard. That, that's incredibly traumatizing, too, right? So that's the gaslighting effect and the racial trauma. And at some point, people make a decision to no longer negotiate to help the other side to understand, because mm. it's doing so much harm to make the case to say. Can you not see what I can see? Um, and, and, and honestly, that's that's not everyone's work to continually invest themselves into be able, being able to do. It is indeed traumatizing. It's a form of gaslighting um, when people are like, but, you know, maybe he deserved it. Maybe he, he deserved it. Was he really running? Um, and, you know, th this is um, th these are some of the techniques that are in place that cause racism to persist. So racism does require denial. <laughs> it requires mm. people who don't want to see it. So as a teacher, the question that I would ask people is, what does it cost you to believe this information if it is true? Mm. If it is true, and I'm not saying that it is, but if it is true, what does it cost you? What does it mean for your identity? What does it mean for what you've been taught? people who you respect and admire. And there are some people, and I think this is where we can just start at a place of honesty, that to believe the truth about racism in America rocks them. Mm. It, it, it says something about family of origin. It, say, it says something about their sense of American exceptionalism. It says something about the religious tradition that's been passed on to them. They have, to, they have a lot to reconcile. And that's why there's a large ex-evangelical kind of white, young movement away from mm. the church mm. because their way of recon reconciling was, well, all of this must be bad. Mm -hmm. I'm done. And I think for us who have our roots, particularly in a different church tradition, for example, Mike and I are both products. I consider my, you know, the, the, the grandmother who raised me, the mother who raised me is the black church. Not mm. perfect and, and, and imperfect in many ways, but yet uh, has held together uh, 
this uh, proclamation of the gospel and embodied living of justice and mercy for mm. hundreds of years as a living testament uh, against oppression in the United States. So mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I'm like, well, let's throw out the baby with the bathwater and forget all this stuff is because I can look beyond the prescribed safe white evangelical places mm. and say, oh, no, no, God has been work at work amongst all kinds of people all around the world in the underground church right now, the pain that I'm experiencing or the, the disappointment I'm seeing in this local church or in this denomination does not speak for all of God's church. Mm -hmm. There is an underground church. There is a, there's a global church. Mm -hmm. And, and so, it's oftentimes we can be so insular, uh, kind of cultural narcissism, uh, even in the way we think about God's church, um, that we have, to, we have to kind of lift up our gaze so yeah. that we can see beyond just this present moment. You don't you don't have to walk away from Christianity in order to pursue justice and mercy. Amen. And in fact, no. you can go you can no. go deeper <laughs> into the Christian faith yes. and the and the breadth of Christian tradition uh, in order to to grow as a person of of justice uh and, and mercy. Absolutely. Amen. And yeah. I think Amen. I think my I think what I'm saying my argument would be that um that Christianity can give you an imagination that goes beyond even what what is available to um, to others. Now, I think that we also need to be. I think we. So the scripture. And so uh, yeah. So Romans twelve tells us to never be wise in our own eyes, which means mm. that at the Christian community always has something to learn from what God has shown other people that are not Christians. Right, like that's a that's a huge thing. Like we we have something to learn from them, okay? Mm. Um, and and in fact, we have to always be in a in a in a position of not being wise in our own eyes. In fact, when Paul said that to the Christians, he's telling them how to relate to outsiders, and he says, "Remember, never be wise in your own eyes," which means mm. those pagans that don't know Jesus, quote unquote, mm -hmm. the Lord has in His common mercies shown them things about compassion and justice that you need to learn. You think about that's part mm. of the the sting of the good samaritan parable is that the yeah. samaritan the good samaritan is a syncretistic samaritan. Jesus never mm. says this samaritan was a god-fearer, pure religious person. He just says he knew more about justice than the than the <laughs> than the levite and and, and the, the priest. priest. Yeah. Which is scandalous because it's because it's a person that was not religiously quote unquote pure, right? So they're having to learn something from the outsider, you know, who knows more about God's justice and treatment of other people, compassion, compassion mm -hmm. than they did, right? So, we'll, so yeah. we have to be in a position of, of humility when it comes to that. But I do think that we have, I do think that there's something um, about the gospel and about the church that does give us resources to begin to cut through the stalemate around uh, the impasse around media sources, because as I as I as I've kind of been lifting up over and over again, um, when you can't believe if you can't if you know if you're like, look, I don't trust that media source or I don't trust this media source, you still have got your brothers and sisters in Christ that are experiencing this, that are saying to, they're in a different place on the caste system, and they're saying, look, this is the feeling of of the pressure down here where I'm at. And I don't care if it didn't make the news media. So you think about this. Um, man, so George Floyd wasn't the first African-American man to be murdered by a police officer. You know, this, is a, this has been an ongoing scourge in the black community for ever since there have been police, right? And black folk have been talking about this for a long time. 
right? Mm-hmm. And if and, and 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 if our white brothers and sisters had been had been listening to us talk about it, then they would have been way ahead of the curve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they would have ne- they they wouldn't have had to wait to the the news it hit the news. I think that's why part of why Christina is saying, hey, it shouldn't have to take somebody's child to be murdered and it to go viral on and for you know NBC News to pick it up for you to pay attention if you had only paid attention to the sister in the pew right next to you yeah mm-hmm. if if she's in the if she's in the pew right and so the church the church tends to be even more segregated than public schools which are hyper segregated in the United mm-hmm. States context and so the question becomes what are we choosing to avoid particularly for folks with more power in, in a social in a social context what cuz cuz we can create a life some of us can, not all of us, but some of us can create a life where we don't hear the stories and we don't get to hear those stories because we insulate our world to not have to hear it. And then we can do some mental gymnastics to demote people's Christianity, uh, to, to, to consider it deficient so that they're not fully a brother or a sister. They're, they're kind of confused and lost, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why they think racism is a problem because, you know, they've been led astray. And so we can do all of those mental gymnastics so that we do not have to hear people. But yet God hears them. And this, this, is, yeah. this is what I really think I would love for people just to, to sit with. Uh, we, can, we can plug our ears, but God hears. God hears the cries of God's people. And God has mm-hmm. a long track record. A long track record. When when Pharaoh when Pharaohs of society uh, get intimidated uh, by the people who've been put on the bottom, mm-hmm. God hears their cries and God brings forth justice. Yeah. And it is a justice that cleans up the house. <laughs> and so, and I don't mean to sound like you know apocalyptic and scary, but I do think there's not enough sobriety about the thrice holiness of God and the purity of God's justice and the fact that God does not plug God's ears and God hears the cries of the mother whose whose son's blood is still on the street. God hears these cries from generation to generation and God is giving us grace. Every time we have a messenger that comes by that says, look at this person who is hurting that I've called you to see, God is extending a hand of grace. And when we ignore, we are slapping the hand of God mm-hmm. away. It, yeah. is, it, is, it is such a serious matter. It is not, we're not appealing to people to say, oh, I need you to like me because I'm a black person. I actually don't need white people to tell me that I'm a good person. You know, I'm, I'm definitely looking to Jesus to define me and to, and to tell me who I am and to sustain me. Um, so that, that's not what it's about. It's not like, oh, we're not a real church unless white people think that we're sound. Nope, don't mm-hmm. believe that either, okay? What I'm saying is that these cries are going before the thrice holy God's ears. And God is still giving out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But just because God is long suffering does not mean that God will not discipline God's church and get it into Mm. order. And I I just... uh... I just appreciate you guys sharing so transparently and clearly. And what I hope people hear in this is, uh, even as you all are are talking, uh, that there is a lane, there is a Christian tradition that includes all kinds of people that have stood, that have not just pursued justice in, in, in spite of Christian orthodoxy in the gospel, 
but have pursued justice and mercy because of oh, and on and on the foundation of, of, of Christian orthodoxy and uh, and theology. And so for the person that's wondering, like, how do I grow? I mean, you guys have said some things that are so helpful. Number one, to be plugged into a church of people that are different than you. And to, Micah, you said over and over again, hang in there, keep listening, keep learning, to, to not wait for some tragic headline in order to believe the stories of very real people and to lean in and to take initiative to learn, uh, to read some primary sources. And I would even add to that, put a little asterisk, and this is true for me too, to read some primary sources from people who represent camps that you are instinctively resistant Absolutely. to. You know what I mean? You've heard about Absolutely. them and you've you've heard them demonized. Mm-hmm. Actually read them in their own yeah. words. You're, you're Ninevites, whoever your yeah. Ninevites oh. are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and especially uh, the people on the bottom. Yeah. I would say, yeah. and I should say that, God mm. preferences people on the bottom. He just does. Mm. You know, he's, mm. he announces himself as the God of the widow, the sojourner, the orphan. These are social, socially mm. vulnerable people. God does not, you know, and, and because those who weren't widows, weren't orphans, weren't, weren't sojourners, those who were financially well off, they, they, all, they assumed that God was their God, right? So, but God mm. had to deliberately say, no, 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 I am, I am in a unique way the God of these people on the bottom. And mm-hmm. I am going to provide a special kind because you know we kind of want God to, we want God to not just we, we want God to treat everybody the same, right? Mm-hmm. And God loves us equally, but it doesn't mean but 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 because we're in different social relations, He treats us in connection to our social relation, right? So mm-hmm. what He does is He goes to the people on the bottom, shows that they are safe, so that everybody else knows that they're safe as well. You know, mm. and so God, yeah. and so I think as as church folk, what we have to do is we have to especially lean into the voices of the people on the bottom. Um, and we have to demonstrate a special humility around them and say maybe maybe they're able to see something mm. about suffering that I'm not able to see because and the, that's broader than than race. That's, that, that's for victims of that's all right. forms of abuse. That's for vulnerable children. That's for and that's a part of the challenge that we see, I think, in, in the church broadly uh, is, unfortunately, the church is, be, is developing a reputation of being an unsafe place uh, for, uh, for people at the bottom, for people who are abused, for people who are oppressed, for people who are taken advantage of. And, uh, and I think that's why, Michael, you, you mentioned this, just breaking out of your silo and listening to, paying attention to uh, truth right? Truth. We're not talking about just believe everything, uh, but we're saying pay attention to truth uh, or at least the prospect that truth could be coming from yeah. somebody that's not in your camp. The point, that, think, uh, Mike, yeah. the point that Micah just raised as I was listening to it, I was already thinking about the pushback because, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about it like analytically, not because I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. something was wrong with it. <laughs> because there are people who have a form of Christianity where that is a radical idea to them, uh, mm-hmm. even though scripture uh, announces this repeatedly, uh, that God's intentional eye on, on the weak, on the unseen. Uh, you can think mm-hmm. about examples where Jesus speci- Jesus sees her. Jesus specifically uh, eye is, is pointed towards those that we choose to ignore. And there are people who resent that. They get angry mm-hmm. at that. They're like, well, that's special knowledge that you're saying that poor people or marginalized people have. And I would just point them to the story of the rich young ruler. 
And I would say that in that story, Jesus gives grace with specificity to that person's unique social location. And for them, grace was to recognize you actually have not obeyed all the laws since you were a child. And, mm. and, and you know what? Since you say that you have, give up what's most precious to you and give it to the poor who I have my eye on. And so, and so if you read the text, and that's not some fancy, yes, to the poor. Didn't say give it to the church. Didn't say give it to, you know, my, my, my uh, apostles. Say give it to the poor. And that's not some fancy new age hermeneutical strategy. That, that is, a, that's just, that's what is in the text, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we have to start looking at scripture with fresh eyes. And even as we're reading, talking about these primary sources, even as we read the mm-hmm. Bible, we need to read scripture with a great deal more humility and recognize that we need the Catholicity of the church even to understand the scripture, because mm-hmm. it is no doubt that my Western, uh, modern, capitalistic, mental, all of that, that is projected into the passage when I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. I need the Holy Spirit and I need my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world mm-hmm. to help me to understand what's in the text as well. Yeah. And that's why God has us in a community. We need um, community. Yeah, we need. Yeah, we need community. And uh, yeah, man, I could talk to y'all. I promise forever. And uh, uh, but I really do thank y'all for 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 taking this time. And I hope people will uh, just follow your ministry of the church there, Cornelia there in Nashville, uh, of the writing that you all have done, uh, Truth Table podcast, Christina, that you get to the the privilege and the honor of of co-hosting, and that we all enjoy and learn from and. Uh, thank y'all for taking the time. I got to ask this before we wrap up because the podcast is called That Sounds Fun. So so y'all are super smart. If people can't tell, y'all read a lot. I could just tell already. <laughs> but what do y'all do for fun? Like, oh. what do y'all, how do y'all kick we, back? What do y'all we, do for fun? We, we really believe in fun, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, what do y'all do for fun? It takes fun to balance out all of this. You know, you got to. I mean, listen. <laughs> we we listen. play hard, you know, we. Uh, yeah, so so uh, we, you know, I'm a big Marvel. Um, I love watching all the Marvel mm. things, uh, and I'm the I'm the guy that like I will watch the show and then I'll listen to the podcast about the show. You know, like I'm like, oh, you in deep? I'm okay. in deep, man. Right. I'm like, I'm into it's it. A way, it's a way of life, Mike. It's a way. Of life. <laughs> it's just quirky. Yeah, yeah. it's a quirky. You know, Marvel type <laughs> stuff. I love um, I love stand up comedy. Um, I mm. love, uh, you know, we, you know, Ted Lasso. I've been watching that, right? You know, like, you know, just different things. That just Black Love. We're watching that, you know. Um, mm. Love hanging out with the kids. Um, mm. You know, uh, love just laughing and having a good time. Going to going out yeah. to eat, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's when it's safe, you know. I love I love live live theater, live mm. musical performance, art performance, any anything where I am seeing someone. Uh, I'm just enlivened to see people mm. doing their thing. Whatever you know. What's, what, been, <laughs> what's been your favorite live performance? Oh, I've I've had quite a few. So in terms mm. of music musical uh concerts, I'm gonna see what, what did we see in uh Michigan, Micah? Um gosh. It's a lot it? of them. I mean, it could be new edition. That was amazing. <laughs> oh. That was a lot of fun. Oh my goodness. Legend. No, you know, no, no. Bobby I'm, Brown I'm, wasn't I'm, there, but you know, it no, was amazing. I'm, I'm drawing a bl- <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on the name. Um, we've seen Erica um, Badu. We've seen uh, New Edition. We saw Les Mis. Les Mis Robles. That's one. Yeah, of Les Mis was great. Mm, was ha- Ham- Hamilton, of course, was really great. Hamilton wow. was great. 
Um, yeah, just the, yeah, they're just there's so many people who hmm. I just love to see live. But the one that's coming to mind, Micah, is uh the the, the group that sings like Tennessee. Why, why am I oh, Arrested blank? Development. Arrested, Arrested Development. Yes. Arrested, De- Arrested wow. Development was one of my favorite concerts wow. in the last five years. Wow. Um, just because you had da- you had dancers, you had poets, you had you know artisans all on the stage together, and it was a flashback to like my adolescence and youth. So it was one of the it was it was a lot of fun. So we love like love we love. We're, you know we're we're not we were '90s teenagers, so we love a, mm. a good like hip hip hop R and B throwback concert is what I we love would like to go to, <laughs> which we are trying we're trying to go to safely, real music safely in uh in January. So yeah, we, and, and, and I'm also a foodie. I really love to go out to you know Na- and Nashville. If anybody you know uh, comes and checks out Nashville, has great places to eat, and there's mm. also the new uh, National African American Music Museum that's completely mm. interactive. And it's a great place to visit. So if y'all come to Nashville, it. check it out. I love it. Well, y'all, y'all got. It seems like y'all got a bunch of places you got to take me when I come to Nashville. Yes, Absolutely. come on, Mike. Yes, come on, you just made our itinerary right there. <laughs> I appreciate it. Come on. Love having y'all on, man. Thanks so much. Thank y'all for taking the time and uh, just for blessing us with the wisdom that God has given you over so many years. Appreciate y'all. God bless you. Thank Thanks you, a lot. Thank you. Oh, you guys, aren't they awesome? My gosh, I learned so much from this conversation. Hey, I think the best way for us to keep learning is to follow along with Micah and Christina. Listen to the Truth's Table podcast. Follow along with their resources, what they are creating and what they are doing. I'm so thankful to Micah and Christina Edmondson for joining Mike on this episode. Please follow them. Tell them thanks for being on the show and how much it meant to you. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. I will do the same. Have a great couple of days. We'll see you back here on Friday to wrap up this great week with Mike Kelsey as our host. We'll see you then. Yeah.